0: okay hello everyone welcome to our saturday dhamma session so this morning on our study group we were studying the Chula Gos Chula Gosenga sutta. It's about a group of monks, Anuruddha, Nandia, Kimbila, living in the Gosinga the Gosinga Park. Posing a salavan, a forest of sala trees. It's a remarkable sutta, short, but it's remarkable in the description of how they lived. Anuruddha says they lived like milk and water, blending together. He says, Nana hiko no bhante kaya e chitang We are we are separate merely in body, venerable sir. So, but one would think we are one we are of one mind. He says, they they wouldn't talk to each other.
1: They didn't have to. They, they lived in such harmony that they never needed to speak a word dedicated to their meditation practice. They didn't have to talk. If there was something needed to be done, they would
0: just beckon with their hand. They had a schedule set up. for food, for cleaning, for maintaining the monastery
1: and every five days they would get together and they would talk about the Dhamma all night
0: stay up all night chanting the Dhamma, discussing the Dhamma and then they'd go back and for five days they wouldn't even have to speak to each other they were in such concord we got talking about something called the saraniya dhamma memorable dhammas because manuruta mentions the 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 three of them the first three he says that they dwell performing acts of kindness towards each
1: other in public and in private means when when meeting with each other their acts were
0: thoughtful kind considerate they were dedicated to Maintaining their friendship, but also behind each other's backs, they would
1: do things that were helpful towards each other, cleaning up after each other, putting out food for each other, putting out seats and water
0: and thoughtful towards each other. Number two, they would speak kind, friendly, considerate
1: words towards each other and about each other, behind each
0: other's back. So when they would speak, they would speak kind words when they met every five days, I guess, because they weren't speaking otherwise. And even their thoughts, number three, is even their thoughts or thoughts of
1: kindness. Sending metta to each other. May my
0: companions here be happy and free from suffering. Wishing all good things to come to each other.
1: And when they saw each other, they would have thoughts of kindness
0: thinking of what they could do and say and how they could behave towards each other with kindness kindness towards each other it's a simple thing, no? metta
1: it's a simple thing but it's a very important part of Buddhist life it's not an essential part of the practice and yet Without it, it becomes very difficult to practice those things that are. And so it is a staple. It's something the Buddha
0: talked about quite often. Practicing kindness, friendliness, thoughtfulness. And so I mentioned that there is a group of, there's a there's a set of six, there's three more actually
1: and altogether these six they make up what we call the saraniya dhamma the saraniya dhamma or saraniya means memorable or or should be something that should be remembered but i think here it also might mean i think it does mean dhammas that make you memorable dhammas that lead to good friendship the way they're described and the way they're phrased
0: make it seem like it's talking about friendship it's talking about true friendship that is memorable, worth remembering something that makes a person worth thinking of and you have an old friend who is just such a good friend you think of them often and with good with praise and with good thoughts with warm heart that's what we mean by saraniya that these things that make for good friendship so of course
1: metta in in action speech and thought
0: but the other three are number four when you live together and you are you are generous with each other you said that generosity
1: without limit without reservation unfettered generosity the word is appati
0: appati what is it appati ribatani or something without without limit without any limit so you don't say oh, I'll give
1: a little bit but I'll only give so much I'll only be so generous with each other the Buddha said even even giving to the extent of the food in your alms bowl Whatever food you get on alms, sharing it with your fellow monks. This was a great practice in Thailand. I got really into this practice when I was going on alms round. I always came back and gave the best of what I got to my teacher, which was sometimes hard in the beginning because I didn't get a lot of really good stuff. But I was committed to it. I thought, you know, I thought to myself, first of all, it was just a a, a good challenge and of course food is not
0: the end of the world if you don't get perfect food you can still survive but it leads to such happiness and of course such
1: friendship something you can keep with you when we talk about good karma, good deeds good karma something that you take with you your whole life something that no one can take away from you something that you can feel good about having helped someone having been kind and supportive to someone and it's something that makes people remember you as well it's not it's not just like some sort of manipulation it's not that you're doing it so that people remember you of course but it's a sign of a good person a person who is generous is a person who is not not clinging it's not greedy it's a person who has renounced greed and attachment and so it's a sign that that people take wise people take that that person is someone who is either developed or or able to develop able to develop themselves so wise people are likely to appreciate such a person appreciate such acts not because they are greedy and they think oh good this person is giving to me but because they see
0: it as a a sign of goodness sign of high mindedness number five is ethics when you live together in harmony of ethics now this doesn't necessarily
1: mean harmony of ethics doesn't necessarily mean that you're very ethical the Buddha, but the Buddha phrases it that way he says you have a memorable friendship when you when you both have good ethics and you practice ethics towards each other and and in your friendship it's a, there's an ethical quality to it but why I mention it not necessarily being very ethical is because the same goes for people who are unethical like bands of thieves or so on they need to have a code of some sort and moreover people who have poor ethics are much more likely to flock together much more likely to think of each other oh yes that person that person was a thief as well that person was manipulative as well and get along well with such a person but that being said it it, it it doesn't hold very strongly because lack of ethics breaks up friendships of course and if it's lack of ethics in regards to each other well you still as i said you still need a code still need some
0: understanding even amongst thieves so purity of ethics when people see you are ethical and
1: when they remember that you're someone they can trust
0: when there's a trust between friends this is an important part of making a friendship memorable another good quality quality of a developed person that wise people are likely to appreciate and number six is right view
1: having a a agreed or a, a mutual right view where you both are on the same page about reality
0: able to discuss things without arguing no true friendship is where you have the same views
1: you appreciate each other's views and you both have right view it would be a bad friendship if you both had wrong view and were leading each other in the wrong direction that would be a bad friendship because neither one of you would be able to lead each other in the right direction when you have a friend whose right view guides you and who in turn appreciates your right view as a means of supporting both of your practices that's a great friendship and you stay together you remind each other when you lapse from your practice you remind each other with your right view and your right
0: inclination that's
1: why the buddha said association with good people it's an important part of the practice it
0: allows you to support and get support be supported by others Mutual support
1: on our practice, on our path. This is a big part of why we created a online community, why we do a study group, and, and we try to create volunteer groups and so on, to keep people working together in a good way, to create community and harmony, to provide an opportunity to create memorable friendship
0: and develop develop together on the path. So that's all I had to say, just some thoughts about that. It's an interesting uh, discussion this morning. So I'm ready for questions. We'll spend some time now if there are questions.
1: Chris is here to ask them and Jim is here to moderate
0: in the chat and to pick up questions and put them into the queue We
2: do have a few questions Bunte. let's begin
3: What should I note when rising is tense but falling is easy? it seems to necessitate jumping around and doesn't go away for a long time it seems easier when both are tense so i can just note tense repeatedly
1: i don't quite understand the necessitate jumping around part necessitate jumping around. i mean meditation is supposed to be challenging so don't be concerned about that if it seems easier and if some way seems easier don't consider that to be a good thing easy it doesn't give you anything so be prepared to be challenged because the challenge part is where all the defilements are the disliking the frustration worry fear whatever and that's where you have to be vigilant
0: you have to be able to dissect what's making it difficult what should you know when
1: something's tense you should know tense when you notice that one is tense and the other is not
0: tense then uh, you can say knowing or noticing or something
3: what should i do if there is a phenomena that takes all my attention whatever the posture i have a sensation of constant heavy pressure on the spine that greatly hinders breathing should i focus only on that
0: so your mind your mind is going to focus
1: on various things whatever your mind is focused on you should note that but the way we do it is once you've noted something for a long time if it doesn't go away then you return your attention intentionally go back to the stomach doesn't mean you force your mind back but it means you're, by that time your mind should be pliant and able to do whatever you suggest it to do so going back to the stomach should not be a hardship if the mind still is fixed on some other sensation then just keep, just
0: keep noting that and try and note any reactions to it as well
2: How do I deal with memories and thoughts during meditation that are so strong that they make you open your eyes?
0: Well, you just note them. Strong or weak doesn't make any difference. If you open
1: your eyes you can say knowing or something, just being knowing that not acknowledge that you're aware that you've opened your eyes. Seeing if you see something. But of course, noting the memories, the thoughts, and the thoughts and memories are not strong. It's the reactions to them, I
0: suppose, that are strong. So you should know whatever that reaction is.
2: How can we practice
3: as a lay person when a career requires professional and total daily focus? What is the purpose of our work requires non-Dhamma actions?
0: what is the purpose if our work requires non-dhamma actions i have two questions here so let's deal with the first one so if your career requires focus meaning
1: requires mental activity that is not mindfulness then generally you try to take breaks you have two things you try to take
0: breaks where we're in between your work where you can be mindful and you try to apply it whenever
1: you can during your work well, there's always opportunity we're actually idle a lot of the time I mean, a lot of the moments if you if you think in terms of moments Many of our moments, even when we're quite active, are still idle, where we have the opportunity to be mindful. You just have to become
0: skilled at it. There's always an opportunity to note something, even when you are busy, even when you are working.
1: Even when you're thinking, the thoughts will come and go and the emotions will arise and you can note many different aspects of it. And you can always interrupt it, moment by moment, to note something like sitting or walking or standing or feeling, and so on. Purpose: If our work requires non-dhamma, if your work requires non-dhamma actions, then it's bad life, it's wrong livelihood, and so you absolutely should not do it for any reason.
0: There's not, nothing more I can say about that, unfortunately. I mean, sorry, I don't mean there's nothing more I can say about but I can't say anything but that. I can't, I can't help but tell
1: you that it's there's there's no way of saying that it's right if your work requires non-dhamma actions. Now, you have to be sure that it's actually true that it requires non-dhamma actions because it may not. It may just be something you think of. You think it's requiring non-dhamma actions. That's not always the case.
0: But if it requires you to break the five precepts, that's the point. How do I get out of rumination? Well, rumination, like
1: any mental activity, is a habit. And so you don't get out of it. You build new habits. So mindfulness helps you do that. But the old habits are still going to come on strong. It just takes time and practice and effort. I don't know if you've considered taking an at-home meditation course. That Maybe that will help haven't read our booklet, you can read the booklet. We have links in our video descriptions. There's a link on on the screen now.
0: It's all free, so consider signing up.
2: How do you
3: reach first jhana? Does noting get you there eventually?
2: It really
1: depends what you mean by jhana. Everyone has different ideas about what these mean. But according to our tradition, um, there's different kinds of jhana. And so
0: the jhana that we attain is, yes, something that you can attain through noting.
2: In deep
3: meditation, I began to see a kind of spark light. I immediately got excited by it and lost that image. Why can we see a light in deep meditation?
1: We're not really concerned about the why. I mean, I don't really have an answer for why. I guess it's it's a combination of concentration and and past habits. It can also be physical. There can be physical physical aspects. But it usually is brought on by strong concentration and near the beginning of one's practice. Um, but we're not interested really in the why. That's not ever really important. What's important is the what. It's important that we see things as they are mindfulness is about seeing what what is and reminding ourselves hey that's what it is as opposed to getting caught up in what we want it to be or what we think of it how we perceive it how we appreciate it liking and disliking it that's what we want to avoid by even thinking about what it might mean why it happens and so on we want to avoid that in favor of just seeing things as they are So, when you get excited well, you weren't very you weren't because you that's a sign you weren't being mindful, perhaps you wanted it to stay, and when you lost it, you were upset, you liked it or wanted it, or something, and so all of that is 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 a part of the bigger picture, the bigger problem of our in tendency to cling to things and react to things and so, the practice of mindfulness is to just not seeing, seeing
0: that we come to understand and appreciate things just as they are.
2: How do you deal with pests and also keeping the precept of not taking lives?
0: That's not easy. There's no such thing as a pest. The pest is your judgment of it
1: we have we have in many ways our society has developed societies have developed around certain assumptions certain prejudices and we're prejudiced against our fellow beings to such an extreme that we don't value their lives anymore
0: we don't value their um, happiness We don't value their well-being we don't
1: value the well-being of animals hardly at all in this world
0: we don't value their autonomy we consider them to be possessions we consider them to
1: be um, a source of food source of work source of income we don't appreciate them as fellow beings we don't appreciate that probably all of them were our mothers and our fathers before. We don't appreciate that one day we might be and probably will be in their position
0: if we continue to abuse them. So there's no such thing as pests. There's only fellow beings.
1: And if you start to appreciate that, you start to change your
0: your perception and change your behavior. It's not easy to live a uh, principled life, it generally requires sacrifices and patience.
3: Is it part of right effort to make your mind to pay attention to the sensations of the foot in walking meditation?
1: well it's right effort to note distractions I wouldn't try to make your mind pay attention because that's not right effort that's wrong the wrong view
0: the the forcing right effort is the effort taken to be mindful of things
1: to note whatever it is that your mind is focusing on if your mind is paying attention to something else right effort would be the effort taken to see that think clearly
0: that distraction Does owning a restaurant that sells meat break the first precept? No you no know, these kind of we get questions like this a lot, and
1: to be clear that first of all, the five precepts don't cover everything that's immoral, so it's not to say that something is moral or immoral based on whether it breaks or doesn't break one of the five precepts, but the five precepts are just about the most extreme things you can do um categorically, of course, you can do a lot of other extreme things like rape and torture and so on but these five are considered to be categorically extreme. So, the first precept is really just killing a living being. If you kill a living being, or or make any act with the intention to kill, that that the intention to create the death of a being. So it can be you say something like "kill that person for me" or "kill that being for me." Tell someone else to do it that's that's killing that's the first precept but if you buy dead meat you're not doing that if you go to the butcher and you say kill me a cow please
0: then that's killing
3: should experience such as these be considered disliking thoughts of oh my god not this thing person or feeling again or i can't stand it or actions such as rolling the eyes and grumbling
1: so those things themselves aren't the disliking but of course they're obviously accompanied by dislike with dislike accompanied by
0: disliking so you can note the disliking you can also note the thinking you can also note the action But if there's not, you only say disliking if there is actual disliking.
3: Lately, I've been seeing faces when I meditate. These are not faces I recognize. I've been continuing with my meditation without getting overly distracted by the faces. Is this the right approach? so you i hope you're
1: saying seeing seeing when you see something or or noting any distract any reaction to them but just not getting distracted with them isn't the point the point is to note whatever we experience so if you see something try and say to yourself seeing seeing just just to cultivate this clarity
0: and non-judgmental awareness of it
3: It seems like my desire to be a better meditator and person hinders my progress to both. Why does it seem like wanting something makes it harder to get, at least in certain situations? Because
1: wanting doesn't make you a better person. Wanting actually hinders your ability to be a good person. It's craving, it's desire, and it's caught up in things like ego, wanting to be, I want to be, you know. If you want to be something, then there's ego involved. You don't need to want to be a better person to be a better person. You just do the things that you know are right.
0: You act in, in, in positive in and beneficial ways. Is it possible to take the instructor course at home? So the instructor course requires a lot of work you have to have done the foundation
1: course you have to have done at least one probably hopefully two maybe more uh, review courses and then you have to spend a month meeting
0: daily so we can go over the we can go over the the fundamentals of how to be a teacher and then after that
1: month you have to spend well as much, well after that month i would consider you have done the basic training as an instructor but at that point you have to then spend as much time as you can listening in on reporting
0: listening in on interviews so that you can learn the methods and
1: the ways of leading someone through a course so can this be done at home I would say in certain special instances maybe but it's something we'd have to discuss on a case-by-case basis of course it's much better if you were to come here the problem with that right now is that we don't have meditators here so the part where you listen in on reporting which is a crucial part of the course has to has to well, so far it's only happening online, and that's limited, but possible, certainly, to to listen in on the at-home course interviews. Like You can get a lot of the knowledge that way as well, because there's so many, because we have 45
0: students or something every week, so you do get a lot of experience that way.
3: Some doubts that I note have arisen about the efficacy and power of the practice. Even if it is effective, they are like drops in the sea. How does one build trust and confidence in the practice? You don't
1: really need trust or confidence. You just need to get get rid of the doubt. Confidence is something that comes sometimes. I mean, I say that it, but because it's it's kind of like, it, what 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 leads you to all good things is wisdom, and wisdom just means understanding. It means knowledge, knowing. When you know that something's good, you don't need confidence, trust. If you have distrust, you just have to get rid of the distrust. You just have to note and lose it because distrust is a is a, a hindrance. It's a mental defilement. Distrust is something that that you've added. It's a reaction to something. When you stop reacting to things, you don't need to trust anything. You just stop distrusting, you stop getting
0: worried or or doubtful.
3: Lately during meditation, I have found that drowsiness prevents clarity of mind. Could it be useful to contemplate suffering, impermanence or non-self to help focus the mind? well there's lots
2: of sort of artificial
1: actions you can take to overcome things like drowsiness they're only temporary they're only make you know they're only um superficial ultimately you have to just learn to be mindful and, and note the drowsiness and cultivate mindfulness to the point that it it gives rise to the effort
0: that will overcome the drowsiness
3: During sitting meditation, my posture becomes poor as it's difficult to sit upright for long periods of time. Do I adjust the posture and stay mindful while adjusting or not adjust at all? It depends
1: on the situation. There's no real hard or fast rule. Um, But if you do adjust the posture, just note moving, wanting to move and then moving.
0: Uh, And if you don't move, just be mindful of the posture that you're in.
3: Is there a medium to connect with Buddhist community online? As you said, it is beneficial to practice and to have someone with right views to point out when we are diverting from practice.
0: So we have an online community if you're interested. Um, We we congregate
1: using Discord, which is how we're doing this broadcast right now. Um, But we have a study group on Saturdays and. We have question. We have discussion channels. But um, I don't know where do you find a link to the Discord.
2: I've posted it in the chat, Bunte. It can also be found on the front page of our website.
0: It says those messages have been held for review. Do you guys not see that? I'm
3: not capable of uh, posting it. Then
0: there.
1: I don't know why, and I can't. I, I can't even show it because you're the channel owner. It's all messed up.
3: Okay. Well, people can visit the website. Oh, you've done it.
0: Yeah, I can do it.
3: Certain notings seem to never register for me and seems to hinder my practice. Any advice?
0: You'll have to be more specific. I don't understand. Certain notings seem to never
1: register. Register like you're expecting some result from them. There's not supposed to be a result. It's just a habit that you're trying to get into to see things as they are. Don't expect some result. It's not magic that it just creates some special result or, or phenomenon arising noting is is for the clarity that it brings it's for what it doesn't bring honestly it's for preventing
0: all of the bad habits that we get into when we react to things And the, the judgment that something is hindering
1: your practice is a judgment of some reactions or some results. So you should note those results. and You should note your reactions to them as well because that's where the real hindrance is
0: in your reactions. Is having a
2: beer breaking the fifth precept? Yes. Of course. That's an easy one, because that's exactly
0: explicitly what it's promising not to do. Unless it's a non-alcoholic beer, I suppose.
2: Is it not dangerous to become a teacher or instructor if you're not free or firmly established on the path? Dangerous. I mean, probably not very
1: fruitful. And it's, I mean, the only way becoming a teacher is dangerous is if you're um, if you pervert the teachings for your own gain or so or something like that. But you know, I wouldn't. That's the whole point of the requirements for becoming an instructor is to prevent that. But on the other hand, on the other hand anyone who's learned something can teach it it's it's easier in a way to teach or it's a different skill to teach something than it is to practice it so if you've earnestly and honestly undertaken the practice even on a preliminary level you can spread it to others i was teaching from the very beginning when i first started practicing I was already showing it to other people and getting really good results because I was in earnest. I was really keen about it. I was really sincere in my interest in it. But I
0: had done a month of intensive practice. So, I mean, that's the, that's sort of the minimum.
3: In addition to your booklet, Is there any reading you would recommend as a support to the practice to strengthen it, such as a text of the Mahasi Sayadal to start with?
1: Anything by Mahasi Sayadal is good. There's a booklet, a very big book that that they put together or that they translated from his Manual of Insight, but I wouldn't really recommend that book, not to a beginner. But a lot of his other uh, talks are available online. I'd
0: recommend his talks on vipassana and his talks on the various suttas and so on.
2: What is different about the Mahasi method of meditation with other vipassana meditation methods?
0: well i mean i think you can answer this for yourself if you study what
1: those i mean i can't really comment because there's many different methods but if you study what our our tradition teaches and how we practice you can see what the differences are we do we do walking and sitting meditation when we walk we watch the foot move when we sit we watch the stomach rising and falling and we use a noting technique similar to mantra meditation where we remind ourselves of what we're experiencing to cultivate mindfulness and clarity of of awareness and so when we walk we'll say to ourselves things like stepping right when we sit we'll say rising falling watching the stomach rise and fall that's about it i mean that's basically what we do so anybody else who does something else well that's the difference i mean that being said some some traditions might do different activities like some do like we do prostration and and there's different kinds of prostration but we still do the same technique when we prostrate that sort of thing so other other traditions might be similar or might have the same
0: idea but do different things so there's different degrees of difference
2: Is taking anti-depression medication
3: breaking the fifth precept?
0: No No, it's
1: not breaking I, I would say, it depends who you ask I would say it's not because it doesn't intoxicate you the thing about alcohol is it's really it's poison for the mind anti-depression meditation usually just makes you a little bit happier a little bit less um, reactionary or or a little bit less negative in your reactions I I, I don't recommend taking anti-depression medication uh, when when at all possible I mean I I at least would uh, encourage people to be very very careful when taking medication, but that's less about breaking the five precepts than it is about the the long-term addiction and the inhibit in the the, the inhibiting effect it has on your ability to be objective and mindful because you aren't facing your problems you're suppressing them. mindfulness is very much about facing i mean it provides you a tool a unique tool that is really not found anywhere else a unique tool to face to actually face our problems problems that we think we could never face and we've tried and are unable to face mindfulness
0: provides us with that tool that is what it does and what it's for I think we've caught up to the questioner, spunte eh? All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you for your continued good intentions and in coming out to ask
1: questions again and again and new people coming to ask questions maybe for the first time. seems maybe we had some new people. Maybe we're always getting new people
0: thank you chris for your help and and uh jim jim who is also here to help
1: and yes if i encourage if anyone's interested i encourage you to consider
0: joining our online community you can take part in a lot of the things that we do and to everyone you all have I'll have a good day. Sahadu. Sahadu.